morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Entrepreneurial Development Podcast. I'm C. Muzan. Uh, I'm here, special guest today, uh, a lady that um, I respect and got have gotten a chance to know over the past couple months. Uh, we've interacted a little bit, and I thought she would just be a perfect guest to bring on to the show because she has a ton of value. She has an amazing story, um, and I know that she would just be able to um, help some of you listeners out there. So, um, today, I want to introduce you to Miss Marsha Banks. Uh, she is, um, I'll let her jump into her story and tell, and, and tell more about it. But right now, she's running a company. Um, the, na- the name is, is Miracle. Tell me again, Miracle for? A Miracle for Sure. A Miracle for Sure. A Miracle for Sure is what she's running right now. So again, just amazing story. So Marsha, thank you for being on. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just jump straight into it. Um, tell people about you, right? Like from the origin story, the beginning, where you came from, why you're here. Like just start from the beginning and walk us all the way through. Okay. Wow. I don't know if we have enough time for that. I got 53 years to tell a life story, but um, just in general, I am a native of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Both my parents were from Philadelphia, and um, I was born and raised in that area. I am a child of two addicted parents um, who um, had some challenges, and as a result of that, I shared custody with both my parents, and in all result of that, I spent my last years of high school uh, living with my grandmother. So I graduated from Dobbins Botech down there in Philadelphia on 22nd and Lehigh. Yeah. Woohoo to Dobbins. <laughs> Successfully, needless to say. But I, I believe due to some of the traumatic experiences I had as a child, I entered into some addictive behaviors and lifestyle changes for myself as a young adult. About how old, how old were you around that time? I want to say I started to explore at the age of 17 and met a guy in Philadelphia and got really dived into it a bit at the age of 18. I had my first child at 18. Wow. So you had, so So, you had your first child at 18. Yes. Okay. Well, actually mm, Mm. my second. Okay. I lost my first child at 18 and then a few months later, I was expecting again. Got it. And um, I had my firstborn. Okay. In 1994. Wow. Okay. At 18, so you had just graduated Dobbins. What was the plan? Like, what did did you have plans? Were you aware enough at that time to say, "Hey, I want to go to college. I want to do this." Like, what what were your thoughts back then? Well, interestingly, I had a lot of plans. I was. <laughs> well, I tell you. Road changes. I was supposed to go to college. I wanted to go to Florida AM. Okay. And I, re- I really don't think I was ready for that. I believe I was excited about working in journalism when I was attending Dobbins. Actually, I remember in my senior year, I got to go interview Dr. Wilson Good. He was okay. my first official interview okay. when he first became mayor. So that was pretty awesome. But I thought that that would be what I wanted to get into. So I applied for some colleges. But again, that shifted. Those goals kind of changed for me um, when I got caught up in my addiction. Got it. 
Got it. And so at that time, so then you're, you're caught up in this addiction, but you're having your first child. How was your living situation? Were you stable? What, what was going on in your life? I was very unstable. Honestly, I did. If I if I do recall, and I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you and tell you about the blurration that happens in the mind and the memory as you get older. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I believe at the time I moved back into living with my mother, okay. who was living up in West Oak Lane in Philadelphia area. And I don't know, I, I felt that I brought shame to my grandmother mm. by hanging out with the guys and getting pregnant. So I felt that it would have been more culturally acceptable in my mother's environment, mm-hmm. not healthy, sure, but culturally acceptable. Sure. Um, so, and that's a I big do, difference. That's a big difference. A lot of people don't, don't know that that's a, that's difference. a really big difference. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I kind of went up into West Oak Lane and stayed up there with her for a bit. The father of my first child and I did not have a very healthy relationship. So that relationship did not last very long. I, I think my son was a couple of months old at that time. And we, we really disconnected. Got it. By then I was so emotionally a mess that I started mapping out and planning for the next <laughs> man in my life. Got it. That was a systematic life journey I went on from 1984 Hmm. till 1994. Wow. I went on that systematic journey in trying to feed my emotional need. So out of that period of time, Hmm. I had six children. Wow. So it was like in that 10 year, in that 10 year span, 10 year span, six children. Yes. Wow. That's, and where were you living? Were you still living with, with mom or what were you doing? You ever hear the term gypsy? (laughs) <laughs> I yes I have. Okay, all right. I gave that definition. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <laughs> okay. My addiction was so crazy. So in that that cycle of 10 years and mm. the men that I had come in contact with, the fathers of my children, I moved a mm. lot every year through my addiction going into treatment, coming out of treatment, my involvement with children and youth services. I moved about a lot within those 10 years and had those six children. I ended up in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Okay. Doing my geographical change, we call it, (laughs) thinking that that was going to rescue me from my addiction, but to the contrary. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Crash and burn. Right. Let's call that crash and burn. Wow. Okay. So then... Now you're, what's that? That's your seventh. So now you're on, so you have seven children at this time. Nope. That was, that would have been six. That that was six. Okay. So you had six at that time. You're in Pottstown. When did this all start to switch? I know you said 10 years, 1994. What happened? What was the catalyst that said, you know what? I need to, because again, a lot of people that are on this call, they might not know your story. I'm starting from the beginning and we're about mm-hmm. to get to where you are now, but what mm-hmm. actually was the catalyst that made that, that switch that said, I need to get things on track? Well, I, I'd like to think that I had something to do with that. <laughs> we all do, right? But that divine intervention, <laughs> let's call it that, because what I did back then, mental health, domestic violence, 
post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Those things were not professionally or clinically defined. Sure. I had experienced, by the time I got to 94, I had been traumatically broken, Mm. whether it was rape, incest, molestation, homelessness, domestic violence, all of those things were in my genetic makeup and my physical being. So by the time I got to 1994, having had my sixth child, Mm -hmm. I was a mess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hands down. (laughs) I continued to enter into those unhealthy relationships. I got back involved with my abuser. Mm. He was living with me out in Pottstown. We actually got married wow. in a rehab. Like I was emotionally a mess. Sure. And so we were both with those six children in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, in our act of addiction. And one of the things I, I, I remember the most, it was during the storm, the really big snowstorm of Jan- in January of 1994. Okay. So let me tell you, just give you a visual. Yeah. The snow was up at my waist and I'm 5'4". Wow. And I'm out there traveling through the snow, copping drugs in Pottstown. <sighs> Got into a fight with him and my neighbor bless her soul. She called the police for the umpteenth time <laughs> and cared enough about my children. Wow. And me. I want to say and me because I remember writing her a letter. Caring enough about me and my children because I couldn't find a way out of this abusive marriage. And um, she called the police and I hit bottom on January the 25th, 1994. The police came to my home wow. and arrested me. My husband ran out the back door, and that would have been the last time I saw him. I then had the option of getting my children prepared for the next day. That children and youth were going to come in, so they made an arrangement with me to get my children prepared to go into foster care. And I was to turn myself in on January the 26th, 1994. And that is when my first day of new life started. And that's pretty an emotional period for me because I had the whole night to cry my eyes out as I tried to put that place together and have them folks come in and get my children. We separated on that next day. Um, Children and youth, they put my children in a car and they watched me get into the police car. Wow. And they carried me away to the county jail there. Wow. Wow. That that has to be a tough time. Do any of your kids still talk about that time? Do you still talk about that time with your kids? We have over the years. Okay. Done once I got, you know, once I got myself together and got out of prison, we had to do years hmm. of therapy. Got it. Years of therapy. I'll be honest with you. Having had the history that I had, the write-up in the newspaper Mm -hmm. that they put in, um, I was in a suburban area, this African-American woman with all of these kids, just reckless. The condition of my home, 
my psychological instability, all of that was posted in that article. And you would have, the, the picture that they depicted of me, I'll tell you, there's no way that I believed at that time that even seeing my children again would even be an option. Wow. So in my court proceeding, the judge prohibited me from seeing my children ever again. Wow. Absolutely. So I, um, I got sentenced to one and a half to five years okay. for abandonment and neglect of my children. So it was an endangerment charge. Okay. Wow. So how long did you wind up doing? Two and a half years. Okay. So interestingly, I had no previous record. Right. I had no previous interaction with the, with the prison system at all. I truly believe that I couldn't afford an attorney. Hmm. Um, didn't know anything otherwise. I didn't fight anything. I admitted everything. But, you know, once you get into into prison and people start talking and they were like, well, you should have never gone to jail. Mm-hmm. I'm just like saying to myself, oh, yes, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody would have been burying me for sure. Right. I didn't fight. I did not fight at all because I didn't know how to get out of that part of my life. I mean, I'm sure to a a certain degree, you felt you needed it. Even though it was traumatic, you felt like you probably needed that to be a way to get clean, to be in a different environment. I'm sure that's what you felt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it was necessary. I didn't want to be there no more than anyone, but I believe it's what saved my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that is it, right? Like we can, we can talk about a lot of different things, but like you said earlier, right? That divine intervention, right? It's nothing but God that steps in at that moment when we know, or he knows that we need it the most and he's going to do something to shake up our lives. And right along the vein of what I believe in and what I talk about a lot in entrepreneurship. um, And I believe that just, and we're going to jump into your story even more, but I believe what makes your story so great is that you hit rock bottom. And I believe for a lot of entrepreneurs, it takes that moment. It takes those times in your life where you hit rock bottom so then you can fully self-assess and self become self-aware of what do I need to fix? This isn't where I want it to be. What do I have to do in order to get to the next level? And I think that's what, you know, you're just up to what you've told me now. That's what it did. It got you to a place of rock bottom and then you became self-aware. Do you remember your time in prison? Like what were your thoughts? What, what were you thinking about during, during those times? Well, I had a lot of time to think that is for sure. <laughs> that is for um, sure. <laughs> as as if we thought we had hit that point of I was so far gone that when I went into prison to have my initial physical examination, hmm. I found out that I was expecting my seventh child. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? Just when <laughs> just when I thought, you know, can't get any worse. <laughs> I said, I, get it. I said, say less. I'm like, what <laughs> in the world, God? You know, it's just, it was, it was really a reality in my mind that I had to come to. So with that being said, I gave birth to my seventh child in prison. Wow. They transported me, shackled me up and took me to Lancaster General Hospital in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. They transported me from Pottstown 
Montgomery County Prison. The closest hospital was Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I gave birth to a beautiful baby boy on May 18th, 1994. So I went in prison in January. Mm -hmm. I gave birth to my son in May. So you were you were three, four months pregnant going in and you didn't even know. Had had no idea. (laughs) Like clueless. Wow. No way. But I'm going to tell you, that's what them drugs will do. Like psychologically, I was just existing. Sure. And, and praise God for the protection that he had over my children, because honestly, I, I, I was not altogether there. Um, so I gave birth to that baby boy. According to the law, the state took, they took custody of my children that I had at the house that they took out of the house. Mm-hmm. They did not have the legal right to take custody of the son that I had just given birth to. Okay. And that was that glimpse, that light, that piece of hope I needed mm. to get me through the next two, two years. Absolutely. Um, knowing that I had that one child that I could hold on to. Um, so a, a church family that I had come in contact with in Pottstown took the responsibility for the next two years of raising my son and keeping him out of the system. Wow. So the judge ordered that I had no contact or visitation with the children that were in placement, but the church family that had my son, and I named him Christian, the church family that had him brought him to the prison to see me at least twice. I believe I saw him in that two year that I spent in in state prison. Yeah. Wow. That was the glimpse that I needed. That was the piece of hope that I felt that I needed to hold on to. Sure. I'm sure that kept um, you going. That kept you going it, on those low days, those low points. You you thought of him and said, hey, I got to get through this for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. State prison was an experience for me. I had never been in jail yeah. before in my life. And I don't care how many movies you look at. <laughs> okay. Let's call them artists. Listen, actors and actresses. Prison is a real thing. It's real. Very real. Um, the the most innocent, if you can, and I don't mean innocent by crime. I mean, innocent by mind, state mm-hmm. of mind, sure. women, broken women, mm-hmm. battered, abused, addicted mm-hmm. women. For the next two years that I walked both of those prison grounds, I got an opportunity to spend time on both. There are only two women's state facilities in the state of Pennsylvania. So I did a year on each of those institutional grounds wow. and come in contact with hundreds of women like me. Mm-hmm. And here I am talking about like, how do, you, how do you heal and fix all of this brokenness when you're exposed to so much brokenness? Absolutely. It was an experience. I got to tell you. Wow. But that's the question, right? I'm sure that's the question that led you to where you're at now and maybe opened up some doors for you, opened up your eyes as to what a lot of other women were also dealing with at the same time. Um, And again, it's what God does. He lets you walk beside 
the people that, you know, you know, you need to help. And uh, that's, that's a testament to you that uh, y- you came out and then talk to me about your, your story after you came out, right? Like you're out, what's your mindset? Like, what are you thinking as soon as you get out? Well, I'll tell you about a year into my sentence, I started, I connected with three individuals in the institution. Okay. Two of them were lifers. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a long time. She had a long sentence. They got in my head. Mm. They got in my heart. Mm. And they gave me some wisdom and direction on how to first survive in that institution and separating myself from the mess. And then I did some psychological counseling. I needed some healing. Sure. And by the time it was time for me to get out, which was in June of 1996, I had did some internal work. I got released. I struggled to get out of prison. Let's get that out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they said I only had to do half my time, but Mm. I couldn't, they would not let me go back to Philadelphia. Like the judge really did not want me to have contact with my children, which is where my children were. They were in placement in Philadelphia and I wanted to be near them. At that point, I I found out that I did not lose my parental rights. Mm. So I was in my mind hoping to get close to them so that I could start the legal process of getting my children back. Sure. Two years clean coming out of prison. I felt good. Right. Not complete. Right. I felt better than I was going in. Right. More confident that I could take control of my life and stay clean. Mm. I could not get out of prison because they denied every home plan that I submitted to return to the Philadelphia area. (laughs) I prayed, I cried, I prayed and I cried. And through one of the mentors I had in the prison, it's a Muslim young lady. One thing I tell you about, listen, religion gets in no way of God's plan. Okay. Whether I was a practicing Christian or not, I really developed some important relationships within that institution, despite what people think. Mm. And this young lady extended herself and her family to assist me transitioning to Harrisburg. Her brother, her brother had a place that was willing to allow me to utilize. And that was my door. I, I came to Harrisburg in 96, seeking, hungry, desperate, and clueless. Hmm. <laughs> clueless, clueless, honestly. I got off that bus with that little cardboard box. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, down on Market Street, Greyhound bus. I'm like, where am I? <laughs> it, was, it was a fresh start for me, though, Chris. Yeah. No one knew me. No one but the gentleman that I met. He came up to the prison and met me. So it wasn't like he was bringing a strange person into his house. We knew it was very temporal. I met my parole officer and I met this guy. And those were the only two people I knew in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, when I got here. Absolutely. Wow. (laughs) And that was probably good. I'm sure it was like if if you really want to take it to that place. I mean, think about it. You're 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 this young woman getting out of prison, transitioning back into society. You just hit rock bottom. Right. You, you're you're getting mentorship. That's what that was. Right. That you mm-hmm. made those connections. You got some mentorship. You became self-aware. You, you started to do that internal work. You let God work on you. You worked on yourself and then to come out with not knowing anyone after, you know, you being defamed in, in, in the, the paper. Right. And mm-hmm. and 
having that story happen to you. And then you come out and now it's like you're free, like you're truly free, right? You've done yes. internal work, right? They've let you out of prison and mm-hmm. now you're at a brand new place and now you can really start to build the life that you want. And so, absolutely. And so once, once you're out now, you're, you're in Harrisburg, fish out of water a little bit, but just there, right? I what, did. Yeah. what are, what are the next steps? What, where does, where does Marsha's mind go to say, what, what, do, what do I need to do here? Well, I, I initially started building relationships in one of the, the 12 step fellowships. Got it. Number one priority. Mm-hmm was to never use again. Okay. Um, so making sure that I was setting that foundation, I had to be making two or three meetings a day just to get that foundation so that I could connect with healthy individuals here in my new area. Um, from there, I started to seek out some social service agencies for some support. Okay. Have you always been big on, on or good at networking and building relationships and like finding the right people, resources? You know, I believe those skills were already set. My grandmother, my mother, being resourceful, being resilient, mm. um, asking questions. I, I, I do believe I have a people personality once I've come to know myself. Sure. So yes, I didn't, I wasn't afraid. And one of the things that the mentors told me in prison, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. And, and I wasn't. I wasn't afraid to tell somebody because I kept secrets for so long sure. and it was the secrets that I kept that kept me sick. Mm-hmm. So I was an open book, miss. I don't know how to do this. I need help with this. How do I get to this resource? So that was how it all started for me being comfortable with people knowing that I need help and not being shamed because I have dealt with that issue. Mm-hmm. And I just started asking for help. I started volunteering, wow. exposing myself to people and being able to serve in that wow. capacity until I was able to to put things together. Everything everything that you just said, Marcia, is so powerful. People don't even understand how powerful that is. One, the fact that you decided to start serving. That's huge, right? People don't understand that, right? The the mm-hmm. gift the gift of life is in giving. It's in yes. service, right? So your blessings will come after you serve. And then, yes. you know, the other, the, the other side, just not being proud, right. Not having the ego, knowing that like, I don't know these, these answers. I need help in this area. Right. And yeah. again, that, and one of the things I'm, I'm, I feel strongly about is the fact that we need more mentors to speak into people's life. Yes. Right. I'm, I'm one of the people that I firmly believe less about schooling more about mentorship, right? People just pawn off, like, go to school, go to school, like you're going to get all of your information there. And that's no. not, that's not where it's no. at. It's having someone that's, that walks beside you, that speaks into your life that, right, you already had the seed. This is so good. Like you already had the seed of, of, of asking questions, of being resilient. You said you got that from your family. Yeah. But it wasn't until someone spoke into your life at that moment to say, hey, don't be afraid to ask. And then yes. that seed was able to grow and you said, you know what? You're right. Like, I, I'm not scared to ask. And then you can put yourself in that position. So again, what you just said is so powerful. I hope people that are listening understand that, right? Once you become self-aware to understand your gifts and the things that God has already placed in you, 
All you need is someone to water that seed and speak a little bit of life to you. And then all of a sudden you will start to see your path. So that's awesome. I just had to sidebar that because that's, that was too good to pass up. That's um, really good insight. Absolutely. If someone asked me what, what is it that I would identify to be the key component to how I got where I am, I would always say mentors. All the way through my journey, God placed the right person in my life to walk with me. This individual silo, let me rule the world concept (laughs) is not real. Right. Okay. It's not. I need people to know that that's not real. A thousand percent. Because we weren't designed that way. We're supposed to, we are, we grow through the, the development of relationships with people. Absolutely. And it's crucial. And I believe delicately, year after year after year, the next steps continued on. I've been out 23 years now, and I can tell you a significant person or persons that was placed in my life every single year of my release Mm. that walked alongside of me as I grew to where I am today. Absolutely. I found a church. Mm. That's important. All of the models of the women that I wanted to be was within that church congregation. Wow. And they walked alongside of me. Listen, if my goal was to get those kids back, I needed somebody to teach me what to do with them when I got them. Absolutely. Because my addiction, I wasn't out a responsible mother or parent. I knew nothing about that. And I didn't have very good role models to get me there either. Mm. I hear you. I hear you. So we need we need to really grasp onto that concept of knowing that we need people in our lives to help grow us Absolutely. through life. Absolutely. It's something I believe in a thousand percent. And okay, it's, it's part it's part of my my message and, and what I just want to talk to people about is you just need somebody to walk alongside you. You need somebody to give you that guidance because you're not gonna get it. The world's not gonna give it to you. I mean, obviously with what we see on social media or the television or, or radio or in music culture, like it's just it's mm-hmm. not going to give you the things that you need to set mm-hmm. yourself up to to live a healthy, successful life. Um, that most people are looking to do. So it's just good to hear, right? That I just firmly believe that's a foundational thing, right? When you have, when people have mentors, it really does take you to the next level. They always say you're yes. the, you're the average of the five people you hang out with, but you know, I agree, but really it's just about having someone that has some wisdom that can speak into your life, right? Why, why make the mistakes over again if someone right. else has already gone through it and then they can point you in the right direction and, and, and steer you a little bit better. No. So, so that being said, now you are right back into society. You're figuring out how, how did we get to where you're at now? How did we start the company? What, what, what was the process? Well, I'll tell you, I struggled. Um, I am an, I was a newbie. Nobody knew me. I couldn't put nobody's name down for a reference to get a job. If, Mm. If you paid me, um, I had some challenges coming out of prison with a criminal background. I have a charge that prohibits my um, ability to work within the state system. The endangering the welfare of a child sits on this list of you cannot work for the state, county, city agency mm. anywhere. Right. And you can't go into this line of work. You can't go into that line of work. So I had some barriers. They got in the way, 
But one of the things that I think that's important that folks don't seem to realize is that when those things come into play, this is where the the mentors come in. Julie Williams, oh my goodness. She would probably be the most instrumental person in my life at that time as I started to develop this plan for taking care of my children because I was speaking the fact that I was going to get those children back. Yeah. We started to work on a plan. And I believe in 1999, in that plan, I had to make a decision to go back to school. And I, we're talking about a big step yeah. because I believed I did so many drugs that any brain cell that I had left <laughs> was about shot. Got it. Okay. Um, so I really, I really wasn't very confident. I don't think I was the brightest student at Dobbins. Sure. Okay. And then you add 10 years of drug abuse. I just really wasn't confident, but you know what she did? She took baby steps with me and she encouraged me and she said, listen, Marsha, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Sure. I might have to take remedial classes. And, and that is exactly how it started for me. I decided to go back to school because I didn't have the education to get a basic job here. Got it. So I went to school and I started. I started at remedial. Mm. I had a tutor. I had a learning disability. And I went through college in this community college environment, being that non-traditional student, but having enough confidence that I knew that I could. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a matter of time, that two-year degree, it took me three years to get it, but I got it. Absolutely. <laughs> but I got it. And and that's important because once you go into the prison system, we're not normal. Right. Once you in, in experience an addiction and a, an abusive past, we're not normal. We have to take a different approach to getting to our goals. But knowing that we will get and reach our goals mm-hmm. is something that I needed to feed myself every day until I got to a point of, and I, and I celebrate this because I did get those children back. By the time I completed my, my three years in, in college, in a community college, I graduated at the top of my class with those children, with those seven children with me. I walked across the stage and I got my degree with those children. And that was probably the beacon of hope for my life at that time. That was my light bulb. Sure. That's awesome. <laughs> don't, don't hold me back. Don't count me out right now. Cause you couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> when, when I graduated. And, and, and what year was that that you graduated? I graduated from Harrisburg area community college in the year of 2000. In 2000. So mm-hmm. out of prison for four years, basically. And you graduated four years later. What was your degree in? I went for human services. I needed okay. my give back. That's my right. give back was all I could think about is how do, listen, you only got a piece of the story. The survival through my journey mm. in itself was enough for me to know that my direction in the work that I do had to do with giving back Absolutely. and serving. So I got my first degree in human services. Got it. Um, but you, but you later, knew. I got my second degree. I I pursued my education. I got a full scholarship after I graduated to get my second degree and my bachelor's degrees in sociology. I had to know and come to know and understand the world in which I lived. Right. um, Right. In in order to succeed in it. But you had real knowledge. Yeah. 
I said, you had real knowledge. Like you really knew what you wanted to do. And that's why you got the degrees in those areas because it was going to help you along your path. You knew you were going to deal with people. You knew you were going to give back. So then you went to school specifically for those things so that it could further the things that you knew you already wanted to attain. Correct? Yes. Exactly. And, you know, this is where I go back and forth with people about college, right? About higher education is because your story makes sense, right? You are already self-aware enough to know this is the path, right? I just know everything that I've been through in life is the path I'm going to go because I need to give back. It feels good. It probably felt like the right thing. Mm -hmm. But kids these days and people these days that go back to school to get the degrees because they don't know what they want to do. Right. They don't, they have no idea and they think that that is the path. I try to tell them, no, the path is you figuring out what you want and then seeing if college or higher education is going to be the thing that you need to get you there. But for most people, it's not, right? If, you're, if, if you've already had some form of education, you're just kind of confused and don't really know what you want. Well, maybe going to school is not the right thing. For you, it sounded like it was the right thing to do because you knew that was you. And that's what you wanted to be able to do more of in life, right? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's, you know, it's, it's just, again, refreshing to hear. That's why you're on the podcast, just so you know, it's because you have a great story. <laughs> it's refreshing to hear that how things line up. And this is really the entrepreneurial journey, even though you went looking to get a job. Um, and that's why you went to school. After you came out of school, though, what was the next? What, what were the next steps for you? Did you go straight into getting a job? Did when when did the business come about? I um, I started to think about a miracle for sure in my senior year of getting my my bachelor's, but the timing wasn't right. Mm. I had dealt with some traumatic experiences within my home. My son, huh, you know we. You go to prison and you you try to teach your children the best you know how. And, of course, you know, um, in everything that we do, we try to keep our our children away from real-life experiences. But um, nonetheless, right after I graduated with my undergraduate, I experienced my my oldest son had committed a crime Mm. and was sentenced to a mandatory five years. Wow. And that in itself shifted everything in my life. And so the whole educational piece, emotionally, I was a mess. And I need people to understand that we could be on the right um, um, path, if you will, and everything could look like it's perfect. However, it just takes that one thing to to shift you back. And, And I'm glad that the foundation was already set in my life. And had I not had that foundation, honestly, I might have been in a straitjacket mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, it shook my my whole being. I was a single mother with, at that time, eight children. I got into a relationship with a man and had another child. So I had eight children. And here it is. My son needed to go do this five years maximum sentence. So I took a break from school. And I didn't return back to school until years later. But I had emotional setback, needless sure. to say. I found myself receiving public assistance and getting back into counseling and taking care of my family. More importantly, taking care of my son 
who was serving time for the first time. So our lives were kind of in limbo at that time. Yeah. We were at a point where we needed each other. The closeness was necessary. Wow. And again, people don't understand the ups and downs of life. The ups and downs of life, right? That's, it's, it's part of the journey. Just again, recapping your story, you're at a high because you had just crossed, right? You, you, had, you, had, you had gotten the degree. Life is looking like it's on track. And then just like you say, one little setback, one emotional setback sets everything back, right? And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that we have to constantly fight through. And I talk about mental toughness a lot. I talk about making sure that we have that foundation that we're set because we're not we don't know what's going to happen in life. We don't know what what's around the corner and we have to be prepared mentally and emotionally to be able to deal with the things that come our way. And if we can't at least know where our foundation is in order to get through it. But how did you get through that, that, that time? Well, for the next five years, we visited my son in the state prison every week. Mm. I believe that was key to his success and, and, and being released when the time came about. I, I, I decided, uh, I believe through counseling, I made a decision to start working from home. I decided to go back to school. I didn't want to lose. You know, they say, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. Um, school was medication for me. I was getting my therapy emotional. Emotionally, I was sound. I started to get back into the swing of things of thinking, about what my goals were in life. I worked a couple of jobs. Okay. I, I believe that in order for us to be good leaders, we need to be led. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we need to know how to work for someone in the field in which we choose to be directed in. Sure. So I got some experience in being a substance abuse therapist. I got some experience in being working within residential living for people who with mental health issues and addiction issues. Mm. Um, so I worked in a couple of those positions. And during that period of time, I decided to extend my education. I actually got my master's degree in 2010. Wow. And that was a few years after, as you can see, after yeah. I graduated. I graduated with my bachelor's in 2004. So mm. during that period of time, while Timothy was serving time, I was getting myself, you know, working and taking care of my family, but planning on what was to come next. Got it. Always planning for the future. Have, have you always had that vision? Always think, well, I mean, at always, this point you were thinking about it. We have to, we can't get, like, we can't just randomly go jump into, <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Everything has to come with planning. Right. Um, that's one thing I learned in school, you know, mm-hmm. that I learned with having eight children. Okay. <laughs> Who says, oh, I got eight kids and let me go get a couple of degrees. Nobody. Nobody. Right? <laughs> nobody. Nobody but Marcia. It's you are you are one of a kind in that in that respect. That is quite the feat. <laughs> I'm just like, what when I said that to my mentor at the time, she was like, Marsha, are you serious? I said, Well, you taught me the importance of time management. Yeah. I've learned how to structure my life. There's no reason why I went to school when my children went to school. Mm. I strategically mapped out what was and how my house was going to be. And out of that, I was able to structure it so that I could get this degree because I, I built this organization within my whole master's program. Got it. 
I used that educational process to develop this nonprofit organization that I've, that I run today. Right. And what? It's been eight years. Eight years. So you've had it for eight years. So tell, tell, tell everyone about what, what you started uh, with a miracle for sure. Well, again, I had a great mentor Mm. who was already working in this, in this field and guiding me. I developed within a couple of the classes that I was taking. I I graduated from Capella University out of Minnesota. I was being taught by all my professors were PhDs. And that I wanted to have that knowledge of developing an organization. So I had some business classes. And I mean, in all honesty, I'm, I'm, I'm saying to myself, you know, we struggled a lot going through this process, you know, my employers, I was blessed to have employers that understood that I was a mother of eight, mm. majority of the time, a single mother of eight and trying to take care of my family and provide. Right. But all those doctor appointments and <laughs> school calling me and saying, come get your child because they acting up. A lot of that had a lot to do with the importance of me being able to develop a, a way in which I could continue to take care of my family without having those those issues. Right. So I became an independent contractor for Penn State University. So I was bringing in a, a, a stable income. And during that period of time, I was able to work from home mm. with that job That's awesome. and develop this organization. So piece by piece, I studied and I learned how to build an organization and put all of those puzzle pieces together. I really didn't come into providing services until 2013. Okay. So it took a minute for yeah. me to connect some dots, whereas the opportunity came in 2013 for me to become a contractor for the, the Department of Corrections, nonetheless, <laughs> the very institution in which I became a resident. Wow. Uh, but again, there's two reasons why we start you know, entrepreneurial thoughts and processes. Most, unfortunately, I'll say this, most is, is about this money. Absolutely. The other half is, is about this passion of serving, meeting a need, mm-hmm. being able to provide a service that is sustainable and, and valuable to the communities in which we live. It adds so value. I took the latter. Absolutely. I took the latter. I wanted to serve in this community in which I live. But in order to do that, you need to evaluate your environment and identify the resources that are needed within that environment. Absolutely. And out of that, I developed the tools that we provide to, for the community that we've served over the last eight years. Which is what? Explain to everybody what, what um, Currently, we provide that mentoring, that coaching, that guiding formerly incarcerated persons. So the majority of my population, um, one of the things I thought that sets us aside of the norm mm. is that I run an organization where the, the majority of my staff are formerly incarcerated persons. Got it. That empathy, that compassion, and that wherewithal mm-hmm. and knowing about the journey in which we are leading and guiding individuals in Absolutely. is important. Along my journey, we, we bumped into a few other individuals. We work along. Collaboration is key in entrepreneurial work. Absolutely. Collaboration is key. Again, we're not creating silos. We're trying to create 
communities. Mm. And that requires us to be able to work alongside of individuals like ourselves that are doing this work. So to collectively, we became experts by experience. And we share within this community of individuals. Because what we've learned in this work is that regardless of the hundreds and hundreds of people who go to prison, one day, hundreds and hundreds of people will be let out. And they will need to be guided. We mentor. Family reunification was key for me. Um, Reconnecting with my family was not very easy. Sure. Let me tell the truth on myself. (laughs) Some of my kids didn't even like me. Okay. I'm sure. They didn't even want to come live with me because they didn't know me. Right. So learning how to develop relationships with our families, including our extended families, was crucial. So that's a service and support that we offer. Wow, that's big And then finding a place to live is Mm. crucial as well, coming into a new community. So we assist with that that transition, um, reconnecting, um, connecting to a new community and environment which you know nothing about. I mean, who else to do that better than That's what I was going to say. That's right. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason why you are successful in your business, in your not-for-profit is because you went through it. (laughs) You did it. It was your life. That's exactly the path that you took. Someone helped you re-enter. Someone helped you get the connection. Someone helped you do those things. And in turn, you were just doing the same thing for others and you were able to build a business around that. And that, I believe, is entrepreneurship. That's entrepreneurship. We're living in a time where there's, you know, fake entrepreneurship. I do a couple other podcasts, Marsha, and one of the other podcasts that I do, it's called Perspectives. And uh, we just talked about this, that, right, there's, I believe there's no such thing as the dualpreneur, right? Somebody that's an employee and an entrepreneur, because I believe you pull from two different sides. There are two different ways to think. The, yes. how, how the employee thinks is completely different than how the entrepreneur has to think just from, from everything. And, and, and I don't believe that those two can coexist in the same space, but other people believe so. I believe your story is more of the entrepreneur side, right? You, you did this with the help of God, obviously, but you did this because you knew this was your path. This happened to you in your life. You were fulfilling a need and a void in the community from things that you saw by your experiences. You created a business around it. You're helping tons of people. And obviously, you know, the byproduct, you do make money from it. But really, it's about the passion. It's Absolutely. about what you put into it. So um, that's that's really awesome. I, we're we're going to start to get this wrapped up. But I have a couple questions. Okay. What for, for, for you specifically, right? What is it if there's someone out there that's going through their entrepreneurial journey, that's going through the tough times in life, what advice would you give them either from a life perspective, like what they should be looking for, or just from a business perspective, what they should be doing to kind of get started? What would be your advice to them? I would say identify that individual that can teach you that process. Walk along shadowing. Shadowing is important mm-hmm. when we want to take on, because the world is so big. Okay. Absolutely. And know, know, know what's going on in it, in that field, in that where you're directed professionally. But I, I think that shadowing and, and remaining teachable, 
Like, mm-hmm. don't walk into this thing saying, oh, and, and I don't want anybody to think that, that I did. Oh, you can't tell me nothing. I already, I know everything mm-hmm. about what an ex-offender needs. Right. No, 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 no. We have to go in it hungry and, and wanting to learn more about how this works. And you don't just open up a store and throw the items in it and say, I'm a store owner. Right. You've got to learn the what happens when behind closed doors and how to. I, I knew nothing about doing books, payroll, hiring. Right running the structure of an organization. I had never done these things before. But that didn't stop you from doing it, right? Like that didn't stop you from still going along the path. You just learned it along the way. Absolutely. So be patient, be willing to learn, prepare yourself emotionally for the setbacks. Hmm. We started working out of the red halfway through this contract we had. What do I do now? Um, so having the people that you can call upon and understanding that process. So I believe that the shadowing, learning, everything's on the internet now, yeah. teaching, you know, and, and, and being prepared. Secondly, follow your heart and your passion, not your wallet. Mm. <laughs> I believe that eventually we will get to become When my bank account tapped into a million dollars one day, Mm -hmm. I said, okay, thank you, Lord. (laughs) I was not believing that I had arrived. I still had to learn what to do and how to manage my money. And I'll be honest, I didn't manage it well. (laughs) And through that experience, I learned. I called in a professional. Teach me. What what do I need to do? So remaining teachable, not seeking out to get the biggest dollar in this, but making sure that your heart is still in the work that you do. That's so that's so good. And all those things, hopefully for everyone listening, you guys are taking notes because Marsha's dropping nuggets for you guys. Like that's exactly it. One thing I, I do want to ask you, and this goes a little bit deeper into what you said, how do people find their passion? I, I talk to a lot of people that they don't have a passion. They don't know what their passion is, or they, you know, they tell me that. Um, how would you recommend someone finding their passion? I would say don't put yourself in a box. You know, of course, I came out of an addiction and I thought. I wanted to spend the rest of my life being a substance abuse therapist. Mm. But to the contrary, what I didn't, as I was growing and learning through my educational experience, I learned that that substance abuse piece was only a piece of the puzzle Mm. of what I was to become. Got it. Um, So don't be afraid to step into a different role because I believe all of that will be inclusive to what your end all goal is to be. CEO of a nonprofit organization was a shock to me. Right. Okay? Not, not but, the original plan. Not the original plan. <laughs> but I realized if I look back on it, every one of the pieces, every one of the positions I held, every one of the internships I took on all had to do with getting me here. Absolutely. So don't be afraid to work in a capacity. I was a waitress during my, um, 
community college experience. You want me to tell you what that taught me? Yeah. How to deal with people with strong personalities who want what they want when they want it. (laughs) Hungry, I always tell people, hungry people are some of the meanest people, the toughest people. Okay. When they're hungry. I worked in rest I worked in restaurants for almost ten years. I'm like, listen, yes. I can deal with anybody because I've dealt with people when they're hungry and they're Absolutely. at their worst. Like you see people. Everyone at their worst. should probably do that. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And people would probably say, No, thank you, Marsha. But it what it was crucial mm-hmm. to learning how to interact with people on another level professionally. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to do that. And then continue to dream and set goals and do big things. Don't limit yourself. I remember who I used to be and I am still growing. I'm only 53. Mm. I'm an empty nester. I got three college graduates. My daughter is serving in the military. We do big things when we set our minds to believing we can. So, um, it's important for us not to, 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 to close the book there, to Absolutely. continue to be willing to grow and to become who wow. we are. And that's awesome, Marcia. Like that, that's going to wrap it up because you just summed it up and you just said it all. Um, again, for people listening out there, this is definitely a lady that you would want to follow, that you want to pay attention to, get connected to her organization. Where, where can people find um, you, Marsha, do you have a website, uh, some, some place people can find you? I do. Um, a miracle for sure.com. Okay. Uh, and that's a M I R a C L E. It's the number four. Mm, four. Sure. S U R E.com. Gotcha. I am Marsha Curry banks on Facebook. I'm at a miracle for sure on Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm trying to get better with this social media thing. I'm going to help you. I told you, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you through the process because I know a lot of people that are still a little bit in the past, I'm going to try to push you guys forward. The people that I know, you like you have, you have a mission, you have a voice, like you have a story that needs to be told. You will do great on social. You just got to start to be a little consistent, get some knowledge behind you. I'll help you. I, hope I appreciate that. Maybe this will be that opportunity because I'll tell you in the 53, well, the 23 years I've been out, uh-huh. I have not been to Philadelphia to speak. I have not placed my feet into Philadelphia to do some work. And it's it's in my heart to do that. You know, I, I, um, so we, we will make that happen. an opportunity. Absolutely. Huh? We will make that happen. We will make <laughs> it happen. You and I will make that happen for sure. All right. Awesome. Cool. Well, hey, Marsha, I appreciate you coming on to the show. I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and sharing your knowledge with with all the listeners. Um, If there's anything that you ever need, I always tell people, please reach out because you know I'm here to help you further along. And for all of our listeners, make sure you go check out Marsha at all those places, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, um, go to her website, support her. If you know someone that could benefit from her service, by all means, feel free to send her that that, that referral uh, because she's doing real work. You've heard she she has uh, a great story. She's persevered. She's survived life, and she continues to push forward at what she's doing. So, Marsha, really appreciate you, and uh, we're signing off for the Entrepreneurial Development Podcast. We will talk to you soon, okay? All right, Chris. Thank you so much. You're welcome. 
Thank you.